You're a good sport, I'm sure uh, you will enjoy this. Um, come on, Darren. You know, sometimes life feels like a day in Vegas, doesn't it? You know, we, we feel like our destiny is left to the roll of the dice. And sometimes we win, and sometimes we don't. Some get lucky, and some say, if I didn't have... No, 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 this is, this is a real thing. Darren really didn't know I was going to do this to him, so here's the deal. This... Yeah, you're... You ought to dress better. <laughs> this is a uh, banana cream pie made by my second favorite cook, Marie Callender. Anyway, um, <laughs> and uh, this pie is yours. Here's, it's, it's real. Yeah, it's real. What I want you to do is roll the dice. Now, these are homemade dice, as you can probably tell. And roll the dice, and if you roll a seven, a lucky seven, that's yours. If you don't roll a seven... It's yours in the face, in a different way. Okay? You feeling lucky? Always. You're good sport. Okay, just roll the dice. Let's see what happens. I have pressed. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> go ahead. Seven! Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, here, let's get you ready. Have a, have a seat here, okay? There goes the offering. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to put in the offering plate today, so. <laughs> okay. Should have shaved this morning. Okay. <laughs> All right, you ready? Count of three. One, two, here we go. Oh, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> go ahead. This is yours. You may have it. Thank you. Give him a hand. All right. <laughs> Oh, boy. Is life one big roll of the dice? You know, were we just lucky to be born in America? Uh, Some were just lucky to have certain privileges, and then there's others who get a bad roll and they have to pay a dear price in life. Is life about chance? And a lot of people would say, yeah, it is. Life is just one big crapshoot. And then there's others saying, no, no, there's something, there's someone behind it all, working behind the scenes and working out our destiny. Well, chapter 20 is such a story that makes you ask these things. Is it luck and coincidence? Or is something or someone behind it? Is life just a roll of the dice? The ancient word for dice is pure, P-U-R. And people in that day would roll the dice or the pier to make decisions. And, and we have this in the book of Esther where a decision is made by the roll of the dice. Five main characters, and one way to remember this is through playing cards. Now, just as a sideline, I'm glad my mom isn't here today because if she knew I was talking about dice and playing cards in the same sermon, she would have me disinherited. But anyway, here we go. First of all, we have... Xerxes, and he is the king of Persia. And one of the ironies of this story, he is the king, but he's really more of a pawn. And I think he's an alcoholic. And then we also have two queens, Queen Vashti and Queen Esther. Uh, Esther I have as the queen of hearts because she will touch your heart. The bad guy is Haman, and he's a joker. Not because he's funny, but he ridicules the Jewish people. He's, he's the wild card, and he's dangerous. And then there's Mordecai. He's the ace in the hole that God will use in a very mighty way. Now remember, the people of God were exiled 586 B.C. to Babylon. God decreed that they'd be there for 70 years, and during those 70 years, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. 
50,000 people have returned to Jerusalem, but the vast majority of Jews remain behind in the Persian Empire, particularly in the capital city of Susa. So, the setting of today's story is in Susa of Persia. Haman has it out for the Jews. Jewish tradition says he was an Amalekite, and the Amalekites and Israelites had been enemies for centuries. And it just so happens, lucky roll of the dice for Haman, the king of Persia likes him and gives him a high position in the kingdom. And Haman is an egomaniac. And he convinces the king that people should bow down to him, to Haman, as he passes by. So Haman hates the Jews, but there's one Jew he really hates. He hates Mordecai. Why? Because when Haman, who is so full of himself, parades through town and requires everyone to bow down to him, Mordecai will not do it. Esther 3, verse 5, it's page 280 in the story. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So Haman goes to the king and tells him, there's this people, they have their own laws, they have their own God, and they are a threat. And I have a boatload of money, and I'm going to give it to you if you'll let me wipe them out. The king says, ah, keep your money, just go ahead and do it anyway. And he establishes an irreversible decree to give Haman permission to annihilate the Jews. And a certain day will be selected to kill all the Jews living in the area. Haman essentially is a Hitler. And he embarks on a policy of ethnic cleansing. What day? Esther 3, 7, page 280. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pure, that is the lot or the dice was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month, and the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adair. Now, Adair is somewhere between February and March on our calendar. It's right about now. And on this one particular day, permission will be granted to all non-Jewish people to kill the Jews. Motivation for that is whatever belongs to these Jewish families will become yours if you kill them. You get the possession. So it's legalized genocide and plunder. Jews are on death row. Haman's in total control. Whatever he wants, he gets, and the Jews have to be thinking, where in the world is God? Esther 3.13, page 280. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adair, and to plunder their goods. Haman is getting everything he wants. Lucky roll of the dice for him. Short straw for Israel. But there's more to this story. Something more is going on. There's something, someone above the scenes. The lower story, it looks bleak, but there's another story, the upper story, another level where something else is going on. And one thing we do know about King Xerxes, he loves to party. If you read through this, just look for all the parties. That's quite amazing. At the opening chapter of chapter 20, Esther 1, it says, And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persian media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. So 180 days of banqueting, six-month party. After the six-month party, guess what? Verse 5. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet, lasting seven days, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. So after a six-month party, he says, well, let's party a little more and having a seven-day party. And then the last day, he said, he is filled with wine, i.e. drunk. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, 
He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mahumem, Berza, all those guys, whatever their names are, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. So Xerxes is drunk. He brags about his sexy wife. She's beautiful. Let's call her in so we can gaze upon her as she wears her royal crown. Now, some have suggested that's all the king wanted her to wear, just the crown. And that's why she refused to come. We don't know. But whatever the reason, Vashti says no, which is a huge no-no. It was the law that you cannot refuse to come to the king's presence if he summons you. If you don't come, you're toast. The opposite was also true. You cannot come into the king's presence without being summoned. If you come unsummoned, you're toast. King gets mad. It's a major embarrassment. He calls the advisors and they say, you better control this king. Word's going to get out. If the queen will not disobey you, our wives won't obey us. So they advise him to write an edict, banishing Vashti, kicking her out, and she's done. After it's over and the effects of the wine wears off, Xerxes starts to think about her and he misses her, so he asks his advisors what he should do, and they say, let's go throughout the entire kingdom and find all the beautiful young women who are not married, and they will come before you one at a time, and let's have a nationwide beauty passion. And the king says, good idea. And I'll bet the advisors were all excited about helping out. Now, this sounds so demeaning to women. I mean, these young women have to parade themselves and make themselves pleasing to a man. We don't do that today, do we? We're more enlightened. We have shows like The Bachelor, you know? So one of the girls, Hadassah, also known as Esther, is, as the text says, beautiful in form and face. So Esther enters the beauty pageant. These girls went through a year of preparing themselves to see the king, you know, shed a few pounds, six months of oil and myrrh treatments on their skin, then six months of cosmetics and perfumes, a year to get ready. Guys, you think your wife takes a long time to get ready? Quit thinking you're the king and maybe it won't take so long. An entire year to do a makeover out of all those women, Esther becomes the new queen. Esther is a Jew. And she's an orphan who was raised by her cousin whose name is Mordecai, whom Haman hates. So Haman hates Mordecai, and Mordecai is Queen Esther's cousin and guardian. She's a Jew and she's the queen. Get it? Here's another part of the story. seems insignificant, but Mordecai had heard of a plot. This is a little earlier. heard of a plot of two guards who were planning to assassinate the king, and Mordecai reports it. And they checked into it, and it was true. The two guards were apprehended and killed for treason. And the incident was recorded in the annals of the kings. Now remember, King Xerxes has given permission for Haman to kill all the Jews. When the Jews hear about this, of course, they mourn, they grieve, uh, they're wailing in the streets, tearing their clothes. Mordecai sends word to Esther, says, you need to do something about this. And Esther says, I can't. You remember Vashti? If I go before the king and he does not summon me, if he does not lay out the scepter toward me when I appear, I can be killed on the spot. If I walk in unsummoned, I could be toast. Esther 4, here's what he says. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone, of all, you are alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family's family, father's family, will perish. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai is confident God will deliver his people. Someone's going to do it. It's going to come from somewhere. And then he challenges Esther says, do you think this is just a random roll of the dice? Do you think you were made beautiful and chosen from thousands of other women to be queen for no reason? Do you think this is just luck? 
Who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God is greater than your position, Esther. And you need to use it for his glory. And it may be that God has placed you in this palace as a queen for just this time. Esther sends word back. says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for these days, night or day. I and my tenants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. They fast and pray for three days. Esther fixes her hair up the best she can, puts on the king's favorite perfume, his favorite dress. She walks in. The king's in a bad mood. He looks at her and says, I didn't call you. He doesn't lay out the scepter, and she's killed on the spot and carried out. Just kidding, of course. It says the king was pleased with her, and he extends the royal scepter. And not only does he receive her, he says, Queen Esther, my love, ask for anything up to half the kingdom, and it's yours. That's what I say to Ellen when she walks into my office unsummoned. Not only do I receive you, my love, but half my kingdom I give to you. And she rolls her eyes and says, half of nothing is nothing. <laughs> and in the state of Illinois, half of it is mine anyway, by law. So <laughs> Esther invites the king and Haman to a party. She says, come to the party, and then I'll tell you what I want. Xerxes says, party? Cool. And, of course, Haman is on top of the world. He's going to have a private dinner with the king and queen, who happens to be a Jew, but he doesn't know it because she hasn't told anyone. And at the party, once again, the king says, I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. Esther, I think she's nervous, just my opinion on this. And so she says, what I want is another party. You and Haman come back tomorrow night. Xerxes, great, another party. Haman feels good. He goes home, brags. He's invited to another party with the queen and the king, and everyone's been bowing down to him. But on his way home, Mordecai, he doesn't bow down. He just sits there, refuses to do anything, uh, and he, Haman is mad. But he controls his rage until he gets home, and he tells his wife and friends how great he is and the wealth and the position and the party. But it doesn't mean anything because of this Mordecai. I can't wait for him to die. I want him dead now. And his wife says, well, obviously you're the king's favorite. Ask for the king for Mordecai's life. Build a pole on which you can impale him. So Haman has, a built, has built a 75-foot pole or gallows so everyone can see what happens when you cross Haman. Just so happens, another coincidence, another roll of the dice. That night, the king cannot sleep. Now, what do you do when you can't sleep? Count sheep, read, watch TV, take NyQuil PM. The king decides to have someone read to him from the annals of the kings. Why the annals? Well, have you ever read minutes to a board meeting? Okay, these chronicles would be equivalent to sermons and sleeping pills combined. Okay? He picked it because it was boring. Treaties and legal stuff. And in the reading, they just happened to come across the story about Mordecai exposing the plot to kill the king, and the king was saved. And the king said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, time out. What was that? And uh, did we do anything for him? No. Did we give him a party? No. Did we give him some money? No. Well, that's not right. We need to do something for this guy that saved my life. So Haman is coming in the next morning for permission to kill Mordecai, but the king wants to honor Mordecai. I think God's up there just thinking, watch this. He has this delicious sense of humor. And the king says to Haman after he comes in, Haman, I'm glad you came in. What should be done to someone the king wants to honor? Haman's thinking, must be me. This guy is a joker. And Haman says, well, take a royal robe, put it on the man, and put him on your greatest horse, have your most noble prince lead him through the city, leading through the city, yelling, this is what happens to the man that the king wants to honor. King says, great idea. I want you to do that for Mordecai. 
put the robes on him. I want you to personally lead him through this city and yelling, this is what happens to the man who the king wants to honor. And I think as Haman leads Mordecai through the city, his heart's probably not really into this. He's kind of mumbling, this is what happens, you know, and all that. And Mordecai's, hey, Haman, I don't think they heard you over there. Say it a little louder. And Haman's really ticked. That night, they come to the second party. Haman's trying to calm himself down, but he knows tables are turning. And at the party, again, the king asked Esther, what do you want? Chapter 7, verse 3, Then Queen Esther asked her, If I found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we'd merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. So she's asking to be saved from the 13th day of Adair. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Queen Esther said, An adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, went out into the palace garden, but Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Haman's in deep doo-doo. He stands up. He runs over to Esther to beg for mercy, accidentally trips, probably on a Persian rug, and falls on top of the queen. And the king just so happens, bad timing, bad roll of the dice here, just comes in as it looks like Haman is on top of Esther, making advances on his beautiful wife, and Xerxes said, will he even molest the queen while in my house? The king is furious. He decides to impale Haman on the pole that Haman put up for Mordecai. And the king decides to give Mordecai Haman's position and all his possessions, a total reversal of fortune. Mordecai rolls a seven. Haman dies. The king allows Mordecai to write a new law to allow the Jews to defend themselves on Adir the 13th. Long story short, the Jews are saved. And based on this victory, Mordecai establishes a festival, another party, to celebrate the day. And it's held in the middle of March, even to today. It's called the Feast of Purim, which is also the Feast of the Dice. The Jews on the Feast of Purim will... Eat and drink, give one another gifts. They'll have a party, including cream pie. It was a carnival-like celebration. They perform plays and parodies and even hold beauty contests. Americans sometimes refer to Purim as the Jewish Mardi Gras. And at the feast, the book of Esther is read from beginning to end. And whenever the name Haman comes up, they boo and hiss. You know, when the name Mordecai is read, they celebrate and make noise. You know, hooray. Proverbs 16:33. And the New Living Translation says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they will fall. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. It's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's intentional to teach us, just because God is not explicitly, openly evident, does not mean he's not working. It might look like a coincidence and roll of the dice, but someone's in that upper story, And even though God is not mentioned, his fingerprints are all over this book. Even though God may not be mentioned in the halls of Congress or Springfield or or by your friends or by your boss, his fingerprint is everywhere. Now, I wanted to end today with a modern rendition of the Feast of Purim. I thought we might do a beauty contest, but we all know who would win that one. Uh, Or we could read the book of Esther, but that would take too long. I want to do something similar to what they did, but I'm going to do it out of the New Testament. I'm going to read some passages from Romans and Philippians. And when you hear the words sin, death, or Satan, I want you to boo and hiss, okay? Sin, death, Satan. When you hear the words life, 
or Jesus or Jesus Christ, any form of Jesus, I want you to celebrate by saying, hooray, okay? So let's practice, all right? Sin, death, Satan, okay, uh, Jesus, life, all right, stand up, let's do this, okay? You got to listen carefully, here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor Satan, Neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I can do all this through Christ, who gives me strength. I can do all this through Christ, who gives me strength. I can do all this through Christ, who gives me strength. (laughs) 